Chapter 8 of The Teacup Club. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teacup Club by Eliza Armstrong. Chapter 8 An Executive Meeting. Why, Francis, is that you? And on your way to the club, too? cried the blue eyed girl as she caught up with the brown eyed blonde. How lucky I am! I shall have a nice long talk with you as we go along. How well you are looking today! Quite fresh, I declare. Dear me, I should have put on my gloves before I left home, but I was in such a haste that— By the way, Dorothy, it seems to me that you are not wearing as many rings as usual this winter. Surely I miss the diamond you used to wear. Why, no, I'm not. So much jewelry is always vulgar, and rings are so hard on one's gloves. Mercy, we have walked a whole block, and you haven't told me a bit of news. Haven't I? By the way, I heard Jack— a man I know, say something about you yesterday which was quite a surprise. I don't really know whether I ought to repeat it or not. Oh, he wouldn't have said it before you unless he expected you to repeat it, dear. You must tell me what it is, or I shall fancy it was not really unpleasant. And, really, I've had so many compliments of late that it will be quite a change. I am actually afraid that Cla a friend who thinks too well of me, will make me vain, and that— Impossible, dear. By the way, I hear that Clarence Lighthead comes to see you occasionally now, and— Not oftener than once in twenty-four hours, dear. Yes, and really he has been so devoted to so many girls that— It is a wonder that he has never thought of you. Why, so it is, now that I think of it. But never mind, there may be a chance for you yet. Pardon me, you were about to repeat something you had heard about me, and I'm afraid I interrupted you. Was I? Dear me, I have quite forgotten what it was. Nothing very important, I'm sure. Very true. By the way, I heard something about you the other day, too. It was extremely complimentary. So much so, indeed, that you will think I am trying to flatter you if I repeat it. Indeed? Oh, I remember now what I was about to tell you. It was... So, you really heard something nice about poor little me? Yes, I really did. I'll tell you after you have finished your story. I really must not interrupt you again. Yes, Jack—I mean, the man I know—said the other day that he thought you—now you mustn't mind this at all, Dorothy—I told him at once that nobody else had ever said such a thing of you. How kind of you to champion me, dear. I really did not expect it. Oh, yes, I often do it. He said—I wouldn't repeat it to you, but the absurdity of the charge takes all the sting out of it. He said— I consider Dorothy, darling, the most heartless flirt I ever knew. Isn't it too funny? <laughs> and she burst into a peal of laughter. The blue-eyed girl paused to pat a little dog before she replied. How well you do tell a story, Francis, dear. Look at that poor old blind man over yonder. Let us cross over and give him some pennies. And she was almost dancing as she crossed the street. Perhaps he is an impostor after all. By the way, you said somebody paid me a nice compliment the other day. Do tell me what it was, and if I ever get the chance, be it twenty years from now, I'll do the same for you. Oh, yes, indeed. Old Miss Lucy Brownsmith said to me only the other day, Really, Frances is quite a nice-looking girl now that she has given up lacing so tightly. I knew you would be so pleased. Well, here we are at the club. I am afraid that I must have walked too fast for you, dear. You look quite flushed. "'Oh, Emily, dear,' she whispered as she embraced her friend in the cloakroom. "'Jack is wild with jealousy. He told Francis the other day that I was the most heartless flirt he ever knew.' 
Then he is ready to go halfway toward making up. Oh, I am so glad that I... Halfway? Do you suppose, Emily Marshmallow, that after allowing Clarence Lighthead to bore me almost to death for two weeks, I shall be willing to go halfway to make up with Jack? But you said the other day that unless you did make up with him, you would learn to be a trained nurse and devote your life to others. And I thought... Never mind what I said the other day. That was before I knew how jealous Jack was. And all I've got to say is this. If you expect me to make a fright of myself in a gray cloak, in bonnet and cotton gown, just to please you, you are very much mistaken. The girl with the eyeglasses put her head in at the door. Come into the club room right away, girls. Evelyn is here, and she has something of the greatest importance to tell us. The president was evidently excited as she called the meeting to order. I am just as angry as I can be. What do you think I found in my mail today? A letter from a man who is old enough to know better, suggesting a topic for discussion by this club. That topic was the best method of keeping the hat on straight. You don't say so. Well, it only shows that our mental advancement has made him uneasy. Of course. Then, as if that was not enough, he suggests a small mirror fastened to the inside of an umbrella or parasol as... Tshaw! A highly polished silver handle answers the same purpose and attracts less attention. Talk about hats. Men are just as fussy about their own. Did you ever see anybody put on a man's hat to suit him? Never. I had an awful time when Tom's arm was broken. I would put on his hat as carefully as I could... He always would tip it too far back himself. And yet, each time he would remove it, look suspiciously into the crown, and put it on again himself. As if it makes any difference how a man looks, anyhow. So long as they are nice and generous, no girl cares. Very true. And it is frequently the pocket of a last year's overcoat, which harbours the largest box of candy. I should like to know how a man manages to keep his hat on without veil or pins. He doesn't always do it in a high wind. And yet he always wonders why a woman holds a hat on when she is driving. You know what a fuss men always make about big theatre hats? Well, thinking to please Tom, I got a tiny bonnet, which was so becoming that it attracted as much attention as a regular mountain of feathers and velvet. And wasn't he pleased? Not when the bill came in, and he found that it cost rather more than a large hat. I said that he ought to be content to pay for the principal of a thing. He replied that it looked as if the interest was about all he could afford. I suppose he thought that was sarcastic. <sighs> Men have such queer ideas of humour, anyhow. Why, I know a man who once laughed heartily at a joke on himself. Perhaps he owed money to the man who made it or wanted his vote for something. Well, I'd like to know who first invented hatpins. I'm sure it was not a woman, because... It was a man, and he was either an old bachelor or a bigamist. I had two pins running straight into my scalp all during service on Sunday. Dick was with me too, and it was so hard to look saintly when... Men always ask why we don't tie our hats on when we complain of pins. Wouldn't we look nice with our jaws tied up, like those of a small boy with a toothache? To say nothing of having our hearing so impaired that we couldn't be sure whether compliments whispered into our ears were intended for us or were merely remarks made about other girls. Well, girls, 
I see you all resent it, as I do, and I'm just going to write that horrid man a letter telling him that the teacup club has too many serious topics to discuss to waste time upon anything relating to millinery. Speaking of millinery, did you ever see anything as sweet as the new hats? I went with Elizabeth to select the ones for her trousseau the other day, and it did seem hard to me that a girl only has a chance once in her life to buy as many hats as she really wants, and... Not to mention the fact that it is just at the time when she is so much interested in her future husband that she can't give her whole mind to the subject. Now, if only she could choose her trousseau a year after her marriage instead of before. Yes, or even six months. Well, my new hat must cost five dollars less than I had hoped. I borrowed that amount from Tom last month and, will you believe it, he took it out of my allowance for this month in spite of the fact that I told him I had spent it for his birthday present. But why didn't you take it out of your housekeeping allowance? You usually do. Because I had already taken enough for a half-dozen pairs of gloves out of that. It happened that he had not given a single stag dinner during the month, so I could not filch too much without discovery. When he gives a dinner, I can always pay myself well for the trouble of it. If he complains of the bills, I just say, Yes, dear. I see that we cannot afford any more stag dinners. And that settles it at once. I should think it would. Did you tell Tom how mean you thought it of him to expect you to pay back money that you had borrowed? I did. I said I wouldn't be as selfish as you are for anything. And did that make him feel badly? I should think so. Not a bit. You don't know Tom. He just laughed as if it was funny. Luckily, I had given him a silk umbrella for his birthday, and as he has two already, and this one is, er, rather small, I shall get a good deal of use out of it myself. And you hadn't one at all, had you? I remember the day you lost yours. Yes. Wasn't it nice of me to buy one for him when I really needed it for myself? But one can't expect a man to appreciate generosity. Oh, girls, what do you think I heard today? I don't know what you heard, but I heard that Clarence Lighthead had just inherited a fortune from an uncle who he had never seen. You know he is my cousin, and... Have you just heard that? He told me about it a week ago, the day you said he was stupid, Emily. I knew at the time that you would feel badly when you discovered that it was only, uh grief for the death of his uncle, which made him so quiet and thoughtful. Poor fellow, it must have been such a shock to him. How kind of you to comfort him in his sorrow. Yes, dear, especially as he could have had his choice of comforters. I think you said that you too have a piece of news, Emily. Why? Uh, yes, I heard that Effie Bittersweet is on the verge of nervous prostration. The blue-eyed girl never said a word. She looked out of the window opposite her, and there was a soft, sweet smile on her face. Perhaps she failed to see the glances that were exchanged by the others. Oh, girls, have you heard the awful thing that happened to me yesterday? No? Then I had better tell you all about it myself. I had an engagement with Harry. We were to call on his aunt who lives in Rogers Park. Nothing very exciting, you know. Well, Mr Doolittle came in early to ask me if I wouldn't go to the matinee with him.
Now, I knew Harry would take me to see his aunt any day. And Mr Doolittle might never ask me to go to the matinee again. So I accepted his invitation at once. You would have been very stupid if you hadn't. So I thought. Then I told him that I must stop in at the drugstore and send off a telephone message. You see, I didn't want to give Harry all the trouble of coming up in vain. You are always so thoughtful. I try to be. I called Harry up, but he was not in, and I told the office boy to tell him that I was ill and could not go with him to Rogers Park, but hoped to be out in a day or two. The boy was as stupid as he could be. I had to repeat the message twice and even spell my name. Oh, it was awful. What, his stupidity? No, my own. As I was going out, the clerk stopped me and said, You needn't have taken all that trouble, Miss Marion. You were telephoning Mr Van Smith, weren't you? Well, that was he that just went out. He was standing about three feet away from you all the time you were trying to make the person at the other end of the line understand. Well, I hope your father is satisfied now. You have been trying to get him to put in a telephone all winter. Humph! You don't know my father very well. When I told him about it, he only said that he was more fully satisfied than ever that women were not to be trusted with telephones. Then there was that horrid drug clerk. Why didn't he stop you when Harry came in? Instead of letting you... The fact is that I knew he was trying to attract my attention all the time. But I thought it was only somebody else who wanted to use the telephone in a hurry. And I took my own good time. He might have known you would have done that. Girls, I often wonder why drug clerks are such gloomy, misanthropic creatures. Dear knows. I've often noticed it, though. And how cross a clerk in a shoe store always is. Strange, too, when they have such light, easy work. I tried on seventeen pairs of boots only yesterday, and I never was so tired in all my life. Yet I was as amiable as possible, and the clerk, who had nothing to do but wait on me, was so rude that I thought seriously of having the proprietor in to hear of it. However, I compromised by going out without buying anything. It was very good of you, I'm sure. You know Marie sends to Paris for all her shoes. I never saw such beauties in all my life as she wears. Hmm. I know she says so. But look here, if I tell you something, will you promise never to tell it as long as you live? Well, then, I spent the day with Marie last week. She had a lovely new pair of shoes, and I tried my best without asking directly, you know, to find the name of the Parisian bootmaker and how much she paid for them. Of course you didn't find out. Marie can be as impervious to a hint as a man. Mm-hmm. Well, she got ready to go out with me, and just as we were ready to start, she was called out of the room. Her boots were all in the closet, and I, well, somehow I just happened to be near the door. It was ajar, and I stooped down to look at the maker's name on them when, oh, girls, the door behind me suddenly flew open. Oh, my goodness. It was Marie herself. What did... No, it was the maid. She said, will you please tell Miss Marie when she comes in that Cashley has sent up for the pair of boots she didn't take. The boy is waiting in the hall. Well, I never. But I've always said that if I sent to Paris for my boots, I'd have better looking ones than she gets. But then Marie gets a great deal for her money, dear, even if the boots themselves are not of superior quality. Very true. By the way, who went to Marie's tea yesterday? I did not. Since the founding of this club, I have cared less and less for gossip and society, and... Then you didn't mind not receiving an invitation to Marie's after all. I must tell her that, 
She said yesterday that she didn't expect you to speak to her for a month. By the way, Dick made a rather good suggestion yesterday. He said why not have a phonograph or even a stenographer in the room while we are discussing a topic. Then we could have copies made and... That reminds me, said the President, and she rapped loudly for order. Girls, do be quiet. We have a very important question to decide today. A number of men have expressed a desire to become members of this club, and... I vote against it. We can all express our real opinions now, knowing they will go no further, whereas... No club man can ever keep a secret. As for us, we would die rather than divulge. They are so curious, too. We have all talked so much about our meetings that they want to know how they are conducted. That is all. Yes, that is just it. And once in, they would spoil all the originality of it by having rules and all that. Then they'd go away and say that we couldn't get along without them. The idea. When that's the very reason I set our time of meeting in the afternoon. Look here. Of course we don't want to offend them. Why not have a man's day once in a while? So we might. But we had better wait until we get all our new things. Well, I suppose, since we are all agreed, that we had better not waste time in voting on it. I'm awfully glad to see you here, Elise. I was afraid you would not be able to come. Oh, I was determined not to miss it. I left word for them to tell the doctor I was asleep if he called in my absence. I have been troubled with insomnia, you know, and he would tell them not to disturb me. Of course, he gave me strict orders not to go out, but... We'll never know that. Oh, such a time as I had last fall when I was ill. You see, Papa was going to make me go to Philadelphia to stay with old Aunt Borley. I... I was not very well, anyhow, so I took to my bed. Yes, and you had that nice young doctor, too. Oh, why am I so brutally healthy? I did, and he cured me of my particular ailment. I had a most becoming light in the room the first time he called, and what do you think he did? Pulled every window shade up to the top until I looked a perfect fright, and he young enough to know better. Sure. All doctors are horrid. Why, I once had such a handsome one that he set my pulse away up every time he felt it. I did look so horrid that one day I... I put on a little rouge just before he came. In consequence, he said I had a high fever and put me on a milk and water diet for three days, besides giving me... Like the mean thing I had last year. I had a cough and wanted a trip to Florida. Instead, I got a pair of overshoes, a lot of flannels and a Macintosh. Of course. Well, I don't believe my doctor is a good one. He... It's too ugly to be a really good one, anyhow. Fancy being delirious and seeing that creature enter the room. By the way, I wonder why ugly men are always having their photographs taken and expecting one to keep them hanging up where one can see them constantly. Perhaps they hope it may be a case of seen too oft, familiar with its face, we first endure, then pity, then... Oh, no, I don't mean that. I should hope not said the blue-eyed girl in shocked tones. I should be very sorry to think that any member of this club... The very queen of clubs, that is what Tom calls it, when he is in a particularly good humor, I mean. I think we had better adjourn now. Elise really ought not to be out late, and I am wild to tell Tom that men will not be admitted to membership. Doesn't the doctor do that pain in your chest any good, Elise? You don't suppose that I told him anything about that, do you? 
I hope I am not so silly as that, with Elizabeth's wedding coming off in a week and my lovely low-cut gown all ready to wear to it. Just wait one moment. I haven't got today's topic down in my notebook. What did he say it was, Evelyn? Oh, my goodness. Here, we have had a meeting, and I have forgotten to suggest any topic. And not one of you thought to remind me of it. Oh, I am afraid that all my efforts to advance you intellectually are wasted after all. Never mind. This has been an executive meeting anyhow. Why, so it has, said the President, kissing her. What a comfort you are, Marion, dear. Tom's handsome cousin is coming home from Montana next week with a lot of money, and you shall be the very first girl to have an introduction to him. Have you seen Jack Bittersweet lately? asked the girl with the eyeglasses as she linked her arm in that of the girl with the dimple in her chin after the meeting had dissolved. Yes, he came to see me yesterday. I was in agony all the time he was there, lest Dorothy came in. I knew she would never believe that it was the first time he had done it since they quarrelled. Of course she wouldn't. Did he ask your advice? Yes, so does she. But neither of them take it. You don't expect that, I hope. Well, did you find out if he still cares for her? He does. I sat on the sofa, in my prettiest house gown, and he took a chair six feet away. He didn't even tell me that fewer men would go to the dogs if there were more women like me in the world. Well, I only hope that they will soon come to their senses, that's all. Dorothy looks like a ghost, and as for Jack... If they don't, cried the girl with the dimple in her chin savagely, I shall just have to spend a month or two in a sanitarium. And I'm not sure that that will save my life, she added. End of chapter 8